Welcome to the Faith Church Podcast, where every week we post sermons from our lead pastor, Rick Shule, and guest preachers, as well as other content from church members and staff. We hope you hear something that resonates with your soul this week. Thanks, Abby. Thanks, kids. It is a little confusing what's going on in the story. It's one that's always made me scratch my head a little bit. Uh, hopefully, we'll get to that in just a moment. Uh, something I don't usually tell churches right away is that I play guitar. I love playing guitar. I usually kind of keep that to myself a little bit, not because like churches then like beg me to play guitar. We have some incredible guitar players, so you guys don't even need me. But I can't help myself sometimes. I like I really want to play guitar, and once every couple of years, I, th- I start to think to myself, I start to really kind of believe in myself. If you haven't figured that out about me, I kind of really believe in myself, maybe a little too much. And um, sometimes I start to think, I could do it all. I could play guitar and preach. And if you ever see that happening, come up and stop me right away, okay? It is a disaster every time. But I do play guitar. I love playing guitar. Uh, When I was in college, I used to give some guitar lessons to high schoolers and junior hires. And one of the cool things that you can do with the guitar is you can kind of learn a song on day one if you have a good guitar teacher. And so what I would do is I would listen to my students. I would ask them what kind of songs that they love and what, what, give me a song that they like. And that week, I would go and find that song, and I would maybe pick it apart a little bit, and I would find an easy part that a beginner can pick up right away. And so at the next lesson, that student can, in one lesson, learn a part of their favorite song and just feel kind of like, wow, they get a glimpse of what this guitar can do. That's what my guitar teacher did for me when I was starting out. After my first lesson, I knew how to play a song from Green Day and Johnny Cash. Yeah, I contain multitudes. No. (laughs) And I love that because if this student wants to actually do the work of practice, of having patience, and having a little bit of pain, they need a glimpse of what can be done with this guitar. They need a taste of the future music that this wood and metal can produce. It's more than just a box of wood and metal strings. There's music somewhere inside this instrument, and it's going to take some practice to get it out. But we need these glimpses, this, this picture of a future where I'm a guitar player if I'm ever going to do the work of practicing guitar. We need these future glimpses, right? Musicians do this all the time. Whenever they bring out a new album, whenever they plan to create a new album, musicians will write and record the album months before releasing it. But before releasing the whole album, they'll put out a single. They'll put out just a taste of this future album. And as if to, and then try to sell that single everywhere, make a music video, try to get everybody listening to the single, and basically saying, if you like that single, you're going to love the entire album. We do this with movies as well, and, and I remember when I was a little younger, before all the previews were on YouTube, you would go to the movie theater, and it was like a matter of importance that you were there early so that you could see all the previews, right? Because you want that taste. You want that three-minute preview as if to say, if you like that, you are going to love 
the feature-length film. Christ does this in the story. He tells stories of the kingdom of heaven. He tells one story like this. He says, the kingdom of heaven, a world made right, a world where the love of God works in all things and through all things. The kingdom of heaven is kind of like a guy out in a field. Where are you going with this, Jesus? Hold on, I'll take you there. And this guy is out in the field, and it's just a field. It's just rocks and dirt. But then he sees a little something. He sees a little something. And he, he pulls away the dirt a little bit. In my imagination, maybe he's like a metal detector kind of person, and he finds a little spot where it goes, woo, 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 like something's here. And he digs a little bit, and he finds a little treasure. And it's like, whoa, hello. And as he digs more, he finds that this is more treasure than he could ever carry himself. And he starts looking around. Does anybody else see this? Everybody else just sees a field. But under the surface, he sees some sort of treasure. Now, he can't pull it all out, but he recognizes that this is just the tip of the iceberg. And under the ground, there is more treasure than, is, than I could ever imagine. Whatever this treasure is, it's worth more than everything I have. And so this guy goes and he sells everything he has and buys the entire field because he knows that underneath the surface is something beautiful that we can't always see. That's what the kingdom of heaven is like. Under the surface, beyond our perception, there is a glory, there is a mystery, there is a power that if we could only tap into, there is more to this life than dirt and rocks. There is more to this life than just wood and metal. I love the way the, um, the, uh, the writer of Deuteronomy says this in chapter 8 of Deuteronomy. He says that people do not live by bread alone, but they live by every word that proceeds from God's mouth. We are not bread alone. There is something about us that lives and moves that has animation because of the breath of God. The word of God, debar in Hebrew. I found out yesterday that my old Hebrew pre professor died a few weeks ago. He was a marvelous man. A uh, couple of quick stories about him. His name was Dr. Wendell Bowes, and, and, uh, and he, was, he was old 20 years ago, okay? So... An old guy. I remember we were studying the Psalms, and he said, "He said there's going to come a day when you are in front of somebody who has a problem and has a question, and, and says to you, Pastor, why or how, and you're not going to have an answer. And that's when you can lean on the Psalms and say, The Lord is my shepherd; I shall not want. He leads me." into green pastures beside the still waters. And as he did that, he began to weep. And then he dismissed class. Mm, I remember that. I also remember that I had a five-day-a-week uh, five class, Hebrew, at 7 a.m. with him. And one day he showed up wearing a gorilla suit. 
and he didn't say anything about it. He just began class, and we learned Hebrew in a gorilla suit. Well, that gorilla told me <laughs> that the Hebrew word for word is dabar, and it means more than just a spoken word. It means more than vowels and consonants together. It is an action word. It means to make. It means to do. It means an event. And in Hebrew, the word of God is an event. You can imagine. This is why it kind of is understood when God says this, something happens, right? So when the writer of Deuteronomy says that we do not live by bread alone, but by the event of God, the thing that God does in our lives, we are not just bread. There is something spiritual and mysterious and wonderful woven into us. Woo. But some days, some days I just feel like bread. Amen, right? Some days I just feel like a pile of dough a little bit. <laughs> and those times we need to be reminded and we need to seek out the spark. We need to seek out the music. We need to seek out the treasure. We need to seek out the word of God in our lives. I wonder, as the disciples were following Jesus, they saw this glimpse, something spark in Jesus, something about a word of life in this man, something that they thought was worth more than their entire lives. And so they left their jobs, they left their nets behind, and they followed Jesus, who was revealing something beautiful and mysterious in our world that was just underneath the surface. They followed Jesus and watched him heal the sick, watched him feed the multitudes, watched him teach and welcome children. And there was something beautiful and mysterious and wonderful about everything that he did. And they could taste heaven on earth being near him, right? As they were following, as they were listening to Jesus tell the story about the man finding a treasure in a field, I imagine that disciples started to feel like they were a little bit like that man in the field. Hey, we found it. We found the treasure. We've given up everything. Now we live in this field where there is heaven just underneath the surface. I imagine that they were feeling pretty good about all of it. In Matthew chapter 16, just, just before the words that Tina read for us today, the disciples are walking with Jesus. They're feeling pretty good about how everything is going. This kingdom of God stuff, it is tasty, it is feeling good. And Jesus says, you guys know who I am, right? And they're like, yeah, we know who you are. You are our Christ. That's the Greek word for Messiah. Messiah is the word for our leader, our king, our Lord. You're our Lord. You're the one that's going to usher in a new era. You're going you're gonna to be the one that makes all things right. You're going to set up a new kingdom that overthrows the kingdoms of this world and everything is going to be made right. You're our Lord. You're the Christ. We love you. And it goes, cool. So you know what's going to happen next, right? You know that my way is not like the ways of the world. And that I will not be overthrowing empires with the power and the tools and the weapons of empires. You are aware of this, right? You are aware that I am going to my death and I will be handed over to my enemies and I will die. Doesn't feel like treasure as much. Oh, there's more. 
If you want to follow me, you have to do the same thing. If you want to be a disciple of mine, if you want to be in the kingdom of heaven, you also have to take up your cross and follow me. If you want, if you want to try to save your life, you're going to lose your life. But anyone who loses their life for me will save their life. Woo! All of a sudden, doesn't feel so musical, doesn't feel so magical that the road to the kingdom of heaven, to making things right here on earth, there's going to be some practice involved. There's going to be some patience involved. There might even be some pain involved. And the disciples are like, whew, those fishing nets look pretty good right now. Is this the way that I want to go? And you can kind of feel the heaviness of that chapter ending. Chapter 17 opens up and, sa- and Jesus thinks to himself, you know what? These disciples need a glimpse. They need a glimpse of the future. They need a glimpse of where we are going. And so he, he calls Peter, James, and John. He says, come with me up this mountain. Historically, we call that mountain Mount Tabor now. And he says, come up with this mountain because you need a taste of what we're working for. You need a taste of the reality that's beyond this reality. And so the three disciples and Jesus, they go up the mountain, and there something strange happens. They see Jesus transform. They see Jesus become like light. He begins to shine, and they see where this is all going. They see the glory that's hidden behind flesh and blood. They see heaven on earth in Jesus, and their hearts begin to leap a little bit, but that's not all they see. They also see Moses and Elijah. They see their ancestors, those who lived long ago, who worked faithfully with God to bring about goodness in this world, who died before they could see that goodness. They are present. They are there. The work of our ancestors, those who lived faithfully, who gave of themselves. Their work is not in vain, but their work surrounds us if we could have eyes to see it. And in this moment, the work of the ancestors, the glory of Jesus overtakes the scene. And God's word breaks through the silence and the light and says, this is my son, my beloved. You can trust him. Listen to him. Follow him. Because we're doing a whole different thing. We are making things right, not using the weapons and the tools of the kingdoms of this world, but through a wholly different way, through sacrificial love, through co-suffering, by undoing evil from the inside out. You can trust him. And then the glimpse goes away. Moses and Elijah, who are surprisingly quiet during this whole scene, uh, fade away. And they look up and they just see Jesus as is, back to being just bread, just wood and metal, just earth. And they're flabbergasted. What do we do now? Peter pipes up and he says, hey, Jesus, can we stay here forever, please? 
Can we stay in this glory moment? Can we stay in this glimpse moment forever? Let me set up some houses. Let me set up a house for you and a house for Moses and a house for Elijah. And let's just live in this future moment. And Jesus says, nah, that's not the work. That's not what we have come to do. Let's go down the mountain because there's still work ahead of us. There is work in front of us. There's things that we have to do. It's going to require practice, patience, and maybe even pain. But I know that you needed to see this glimpse of a future of glory. You needed to see this glimpse, this realization that the work of the ancestors still surrounds us and was not done in vain. You needed to see a glimpse of the treasure that's just below the surface. Because you need power, you need strength, you need to move forward, right? Let's go back into the world. Let's come down the mountain to do the work together. Man, we need these mountaintop moments. We need these times where we glimpse God's glory, where we glimpse what's beyond the surface of this world. This is what we're doing on Sunday mornings. That's why we do this here and now. We put aside other distractions for a moment. We sing songs that are explicitly about God. Why? So that we can glimpse God in these songs. But church, this is just practice. This is just practice. We look and feel God in the songs that we write about God so that we can look and see and feel God in every song out there whether it's Green Day or Johnny Cash. We, we come and we listen to a person talk about God explicitly, expecting that God would speak and that we would hear and feel God now and in this moment. But friends, that's just practice so that we can hear and feel God anytime anybody is speaking. We get together around a table of bread and juice and we reenact and remember that Christ is present here, and we focus clearly, and we look to find Christ present at this small meal at church. But friends, that's just practice, so that we can see Christ in every meal that we have. This is a time where we glimpse God so that we can practice seeing God everywhere out in the world sometimes in surprising ways. A couple weeks ago, uh, my family and I, we went down to the Seattle Center. There's a big playground there if you haven't been there in a little while. It's like three stories high, it's huge. And there's this big cargo net that takes you up to like a balcony to these massive slides that come down. And um, my son, Louis, we'd been there once before, but Louis, who is seven years old, my daughter Clementine is 10, Louis didn't have a great time because he felt like the kitty, the kid, the small kid portion was a little too small, and he felt like the big kid portion was a little too big for him. So he was never able to climb all the way to the top. But a couple Saturdays ago, he woke up and he said, Dad, today's the day. I'm going to climb up to the top, right? So we went down to the Seattle Center, and we made our way. We, we went up, and, and Lewis tried a couple of times, and and didn't get all the way, and then one time he said, Dad, can you go with me? And I'm like, yeah, I'll go with you. And so there I am, way too big for this thing. And, 
coaching my son, telling him, all right, put your foot there, move your, move your hand up now, now stand on that leg and pull yourself up at the same time. And he got all the way up there. And as I was coming down, and, or as we were there, my wife and I were looking around, and, and then I caught this really wild sight. I looked and I saw the largest prayer labyrinth I had ever seen before. I got a picture of it. I don't know if that comes up right now. But there it is. Right in the middle of the Seattle Center is this enormous prayer practice. If you don't know what a labyrinth is, it is a walking path that's de designed around circles. And it's only one way in and one way out. There are no, it's not a maze. But as you walk it, you slowly get closer and closer to the center. But you have to pay attention to your feet because you can't into it the turns that are happening in it. And so it's an old ancient prayer practice where you would walk in slowly and you would follow the path and you would pray the whole time you're in as you are symbolically getting to the center you are symbolically getting to the center of God's heart and when you make it to the middle there is your mountaintop transfiguration moment where you pause and you pray for as long as you need and then you go down the mountain you walk the same path all the way out what is this doing in the Seattle Center? I imagine, I imagine how much it costs per square foot in that area. And they've dedicated so much space to this ancient prayer practice. I looked up on my phone. I was like, why is this here? Maybe you guys know better than me. But all my Googling could not answer the question, who put it there and what is its purpose? only that it went in around 2010, 2011, and that it's modeled after a French cathedral. But other than that, why is it there? And in this moment, I felt this strange beauty of heaven and earth overlapping, that in the midst of all this play, noise, celebration of children, and museums and the history of Seattle, right in the middle of it all, is a space for prayer. I felt like I found a little piece of treasure in a field, right? Thanks, thanks for putting that up. If we are open and aware, if we move through this world with our eyes wide open, Maybe God will show us these surprising moments of heaven and earth overlapping with one another. That this whole thing, the earth, the creation, the universe, it is not just wood and metal. But there is music hidden deep inside. And if we work with God and if we lean into the future, we can work with God in making that music come out. We can work with God in making things right. We can work with God in making things on earth as it is in heaven. I have a couple of questions for you as we think about this message, as we think about transfiguration. Uh, the first question is, when are those moments, or have you had moments where you felt like heaven and earth overlap? Have you had those moments where you felt, whoo, 
Something that has been hidden has been revealed. And I'm experiencing that mystery, that wonder, that presence of God right here, right now. When have you had those moments? Second question is, um, is who are the ancestors of your faith? Who are the people that have done the work, who've gone on, whose work was not done in vain? I'm reminded especially of Dr. Wendell Bowes today. His work and his presence is here right now, if we could perceive it. I'm thankful for Dr. Bowes. Who are you thankful for? And then finally, what are the things that you need to do to more rag regularly tap in to the moreness of it all, to tap into the glimpses of the treasure that's just underneath the surface, the music that's in the wood and the metal, to the word of God that makes you who you are? What are the things that you need to do to tap in to the moreness that is already present here and now? As we think about these things, let's take a moment and reflect. Thank you for listening to the Faith Church Podcast. If you would like to find out more about Faith United Methodist Church in Issaquah, Washington, visit our website at www.faithunited.org or call the church office at 425-392-0123. Have a great week.